We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Day for the Arsenal boys as Martinelli stars and Shaka shows that maybe his superpower is just making people really, really angry. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Another sensational day of World Cup football, a World Cup that has brought the drama. Um, I, I, it's just crazy because each day you're like, oh, this is wild. There's so much happening. It's all kicking off. It's all going on. And then the next day, it just does it again. Um, now, whether or not it will be able to duplicate that in the round of 16 remains to be seen. But our final day of the group stages uh, left us with plenty to enjoy. And uh, I just want to say thanks for everyone who's been going on this journey with us. And I know that all of us are having a different World Cup experience, especially depending on the time of day it's going on. Maybe you're able to see every minute of every game, dual screens, everything up. Maybe you're glancing at it at work. Maybe you're waking up to find out the results. But I, I hope that we've been able to at least keep you a little bit engaged with it and I think we kind of have the right rapport going on, at least when I'm on the pod, not so much when Paul or Tim are on the pod, because you get the knowledgeable, in-depth explanation of what happened with Phil. And then you get the bumbling idiot who watched out of the corner of his eye while doing seven different things, pretending to have understood what happened in the games. Having said that, I did get a pretty good look at the games today, and I feel prepared to go toe-to-toe with Phil on his knowledge of the games. And here, to prove me wrong, is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. What an intro. I feel like you're spoiling me here. You're, you, you've already talked me up in, in the last few weeks, so that's going well, straight on the resume. Much like you can look taller by standing next to me, you can sound more intelligent by podcasting <laughs> next to me. So these things are all tied together. Speaking of standing, I am currently standing just to get my energy flowing, get my blood flowing. I've been sitting too long, so we're, we've taken the starship to standing position. We're ready to go. Um, if anybody wants to be the standing desk sponsor of the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily, please feel free to uh, get in touch. I do want to say that over on the Patreon side, we'll have AVP AVP clips. It's sort of our musings on individual issues. Paul's got one coming. Clive's got one coming. We haven't really been hearing from Clive a lot lately, so I'm sure he's got a lot of of thoughts to get out. And I, for one, am excited to hear them. So we'll have that coming up soon. So, Let's do this. Let's let's take it chronologically because they it was all exciting and and the early games of the day were Group H. We had Portugal against South Korea and Ghana against Uruguay. And I think the I don't I don't want to say presumption, but I think the thought was that Ghana Uruguay would wind up being the play in game. South Korea and Portugal, you know, might be interesting, but would not be. And Ricardo Horta scoring in the fifth minute 
did nothing to change our impression of how this group was going to shake out. So at that point, Phil, you're thinking, surely, surely now, it's Uruguay with everything to play for. And after getting uh, a brace in the 26th and 32nd minute, it looked like it was all set. Here we go. Uruguay and Portugal through. I mean, it definitely looked that way. Um, obviously, Portugal did the the thing that all the other teams that have qualified did. They made five changes. Yeah. They kind of gave, you know, um, some important legs a rest, some fresh legs a go. And, you know, it was a chance to see some people that they wouldn't have seen yet. So I thought, look, even with um, a few changes to the side, I thought Portugal would have had enough just to, to edge South Korea, to be honest. I think they were missing... Kim Min Jae as well, who's like their star centre-back. So, you know, for me, that's what you said, Ghana, Uruguay was the one that was going to decide second place here. And and <laughs> credit to South Korea, they they shocked us all, as is, you know, the, the running theme of this group stage and this World Cup so far. Is, and this is the thing, karma is a you-know-what. Like, th- this is a real thing. It, what goes around comes around. Uruguay approached football up until this game, like the goal of it was to bore people senseless. That was their raison d'etre, was to make us all hate football. And I think it's it's only right that they go out, and we'll get to how they go out, that they go out on goals scored because they didn't attempt to score goals until this game. But it set up a really interesting situation. So Portugal's leading, Uruguay's leading, and at that point... um. It's all looking good. It's it's well for your if you're Uruguay and poor Ghana, right? They they get a penalty early, and let's talk about it. I mean, mm. it's it's not well struck, is it? <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not at all. And I, you know, first the run up didn't the, inspire confidence. He didn't look. He didn't look confident at all. I mean, what did you actually make of the decision first? Did you did you think it was a penalty? That th- this is the one where he went over the goalkeeper, right? Yeah, the Kudus and, one and they, when he, and. Yeah, was it because there have been so many calls and so many things happening? This is this the one that they they ruled out for offside, but then yes. it wasn't yeah, offside, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, and then he goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a penalty because, and I'll tell you why. Even if you're like, I'm not sure there was contact or the ball was got like, if I slide in front of you, such that you can't get to where you want, like if I give you the choice to either like be tripped by me or not be tripped by me and not be able to get to the ball. You've you've sort of impeded me anyway. You kind of fouled me. So I don't know. That's a situation where I think the player has the right to go over the keeper and I don't have a problem with it being a penalty. Do you? Yeah. No, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it, it is a foul, but it's just one of those ones where I think like the attacker initiates a lot of the contact. And for me, those ones are annoying because I feel like you pay the ultimate price for yeah. a kind of potentially clumsy one, but one that's also been initiated by the striker. I mean, too often we've seen them and it's clever play. And it is, I think Kudus, you know, he obviously wins the ball, just tries to get a touch on it and it's a foul. But it's just the kind of personal thing that I have where I feel like the punishment does, doesn't fit the crime in that kind of sense. Oh, I mean, but, most penalties, the punishment doesn't. If you want to have a conversation, yeah. Phil, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. We need to start mm-hmm. a conversation. I mean, and this coming from the guy who just the other day just tried to defend Thierry Henry and the the greatest uh, <laughs> football and crime ever committed. But like most penalties are giving the team way too big an advantage for way too minor infraction. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a nibble at your ankle in the corner of the box, when you're facing your own goal, should it be a penalty? Should you have the chance yeah. to get 
to get take an eighty percent opportunity to get a goal mm-hmm. for that. No, so I, I get what you're saying. The punishment. I mean, it's a fit. penalty. It, it's a penalty. It's the I culture just felt of football like... too, right? If a keeper comes out and doesn't get the ball, and the player goes over the keeper, it's always a penalty, whether it should mm-hmm. be or not. That's sort of the culture of of football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a penalty. I just thought in the moment it was just a bit like, uh, you know, is that how I want this game to go? I mean, just throughly, you know, purely through my lens. Well, it didn't um, go, did it? <laughs> well, it didn't. And the like you said, the, the run-up run was not convincing. And there was no conviction in the strike. I mean, we've seen a lot of penalty run-ups and penalties you know, different techniques with Bruno Fernandes and Jorginho and, you know, the little stop and stutter, but this was kind of neither, you know, there was no conviction in the run-up, no conviction in the strike. And and the goalie, obviously he has to guess the right way, but even if you strike a penalty well and into the corner, the chances that the goalie is going to save it is not very high, but there was just so middle of everything, you know, and mm-hmm. it's quite amazing, you know, that, that Ghana, <laughs> just, they, they're just unable to banish those ghosts you know they're, they're just unable to banish that that terrible day for them I mean it was their greatest heartbreak and and they and they just couldn't put it past them and you and you thought from that moment it's not going to be their day is it and then quickly well very quickly afterwards we saw we saw the two goals for Uruguay yeah well so Uruguay did start to play with real intention um mm-hmm. What do you make? What do you make of the goals? Why don't you walk me through their goals? Because I, I, I have to be honest. Like, I was sort of shifting back and forth, trying to keep an eye on both of these games. And I feel mm-hmm. like until the second half, I missed all the good stuff was happening while my eyes were on the other screen. So, what, what did what do you make of the uh, of the Uruguay goals? I think the the important note is that um, they finally started De Arascaeta. You know, because he not been featuring so much and there was a lot of clamor for him not just in Uruguay but in Brazil because he'd been one of the best players in Brazil for the last two or three seasons now and he's someone that can make an attacking difference for Uruguay because they finally had someone playing between the lines you know as opposed to two banks of four and then two isolated strikers 50 yards away you know so they had someone who was able to just float around be another link in there. And you could see their attacking play was was instantly better. Even Suarez, you know, he was able to to sort of bounce off someone and it made a huge deal of difference to him because in the last two games, he'd looked like he just demolished a KFC bargain bucket before he played. And now he's, <laughs> and, you know, and now he was running around. I mean, obviously that was a lot of um, probably adrenaline fueled, but I just think the inclusion of Dera, Dera Arascaeta was, was a huge thing. And obviously who pops up with the two goals, two strikers finish, you know, um, and he's there to, to score the goals. So I have to give the credit to the manager for that particular decision, because I think too long throughout this tournament, there was just an air of conservatism and almost buying into the feeling that Uruguay have to be this ultra defensive team, the rough team that are going to battle for the draw and give you a kick when the referee's not looking. I thought he bought into that a little bit too much when they actually have some players who can play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, towards the end, it all goes crazy because against the script and, uh, very, very much against the script, Portugal concede not once but twice. And suddenly now we have a scenario 
Well, well, let's get to the once, right? So 27 minutes, it's 1-1. At that point, I, so it goes into halftime. Let's go into halftime, right? You're in the halftime. It's a lovely assist. It's a lovely assist from Ronaldo for their goal as well. Lovely oh ducking God, away from dreadful. the ball. Ducking away dreadful. off the back. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's this team is already moving past him and it's kind of sad to watch. Well, I mean, the yeah. funny thing is they, they can't move past him, which is the problem. They probably have a better chance this tournament if they did, but um, kind of like a Manchester United situation. So mm-hmm. let's go into halftime dressing rooms. It's 1-1 in the Korea-Portugal game and it's 2-0 in the Uruguay game. Mm-hmm. At that point, Uruguay are still safe, right? They're through. They're on four. Korea are on are on two, right? Yep, two. No, they, they were on one. They started on one. Right, but they at halftime. Yes, at halftime. Right, yeah. be, they're on mm-hmm. two, and Uruguay mm-hmm. are on four. But they surely have to know at that point that there's a chance that if Korea get another goal, they're going out on goals scored. Yeah. And I think they might have, because in the second half, Phil, Uruguay just absolutely battered the shit out of Ghana. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, there was there was a lot of goal mouth action. There was a lot of effort to create goals. And we it led to, I think, one of my favorite things that's happened in football, which is 800 shots of Luis Suarez crying, <laughs> scared, <laughs> dreading the possible outcome, not knowing what to think. And sure enough, 90 plus one, we get the goal. We get the goal from South Korea. What do you make of it? It's a brilliant goal. Um, I, you know, to be honest, watching the game today, I felt this was arguably South Korea's worst performance. You know, Mm. they surrendered possession far too easily, uh, which isn't even their game. They like to be on the ball and proactive and and they just decided to surrender. Maybe it was just a kind of press button, you know, red button for emergencies kind of thing. But even when they did have the ball, they they lost it too quickly. They couldn't capitalize on any counterattacks. They didn't really create anything at all. And then Portugal get a corner in injury time. And Son, he was having another awful game. I mean, it was mm-hmm. hero ball, but in the worst possible way. Selfish, you know, play, running into traffic. It was just a really bad game capping off a bad tournament for him. And all of a sudden, you saw the quality there. He ran away from two, three players, waited for Huang, played a, a beautiful ball through the legs of, I, I can't remember convinced. which defender. Yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, keep going. No, no, I can't remember which defender it was, but he timed the ball perfectly, got it through the, the tiniest gap, and Huang finishes excellently. I mean, to make up that ground, I think Huang covers third, like, it's crazy how fast he gets up there. He's he's burning past Bernardo Silva. It's embarrassing. If you watch the replay again, he burns him. Um, and it was just a, the only moment of quality that I saw from South Korea in the whole game. And it turns out to be the most, most valuable one. And I was convinced we were going to get the VAR offside overturn. Mm. I just, I had this, and, and to be fair, it's, it's centimeters on side. It's just perfectly timed. And that that did kick off the pure Luis Suarez dread scenario. The like message filters through, doesn't it? You can see the panic. You mm-hmm. can see the the resignation. I don't know if you're you're on Twitter while you're doing this, but on Twitter, I've never seen so many people just posting the same exact thing. 
It was just a <laughs> hundred million memes of Suarez, or just pictures, forget memes, just pictures of Suarez burying his face in his hands, looking shocked, looking stunned. What did you make of the the effort Uruguay made at the end? Because I, I think at that point they would have needed two, right? So yes, they did. Mm-hmm. And then, and the or, if, or is, if Ghana you know, if Ghana scored, you know, their, well, their, right. their goal difference could have been better. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you mean if? Uh, yes, right. But so, but so, so Uruguay winds up crashing out. I don't think it's any loss to the tournament. I think they are a team that absolutely should have had designs on going further, mm-hmm. and. Frankly, like they they didn't approach the tournament with the appropriate desire to go win win games and play football in, in a progressive way. I, I don't know. I mean, like it's not that they're terrible, but they they're they really not. Yeah, they're no, really they're, not. If you look not. at if you look at their squad, they have some really good players in there, and I know that Cavani is is on the way out. Suarez is definitely on the way out. You know, Godin, I don't know how that man is still playing for Uruguay. I think he's just going to be there when he's um, a skeleton. He's still going to be leading that back four. So, but, you know, Ben Tancor, good player. Valverde, good player. De Arasqueta, good player. Pelistri, good player. Darwin Nunez, good player. They have enough attacking talent. And even in midfield, they had Lucas Torreira on the bench, Manuel Ugarte, who's been like one of the best players for sporting this season on the bench. I just felt like their reputation is is so ingrained not into just the footballing world of stereotypes but also within themselves they need to be a team that in a kind of atletico madrid fashion is at their best defending you know that's where they get their strength from and and in previous years i would have said yes um but this this year just felt like a massive massively wasted opportunity because i did see enough talent but the, for me, the manager wasn't brave enough. And even after the second game, there was a lot of fallout afterwards where the players were going to do their post-match press conferences and saying, you know, ask the manager, ask the manager why we don't commit. And, you know, there was a lot of tension. And you could see in injury time today, <laughs> the, the Uruguay manager was like, vamos, vamos, you know, like push forward. And it's like, you're waiting till the 91st minute when South Korea have scored yeah. um, to finally push your players up. And, and actually the injury time itself was brilliant. You know, there was penalty shouts. There was five on four attacking situations. There was tears on the touchline. There was surrounding the referee. Like Cavani punched the VAR screen Mm -hmm. on the way down to the tunnel. And it was just like, it was brilliant. This was like pure carnage in in eight minutes. It had everything. It had Ghana missing yet another penalty. It had Suarez wearing the armband, you know, Mm -hmm. against Ghana. Had Ghana ultimately just being mean enough defensively to keep Uruguay out. Like this is yep. Pyrrhic victory for Ghana, right? It's, it's, they lose and they don't lose even particularly well, but they lose just well enough that yes. they take Uruguay with them. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Completely. Yeah. And actually there was one particular chance that Kudus had and the keeper made an excellent save. I mean, the fingertips and that's the difference, you know, I mean, obviously it didn't count in the end, but you know, ultimately I think Ghana were just knackered and, kind of resigned to the idea of going out but to see Uruguay lose it like that at the end I mean you know there would have been a few happy (laughs) dressing rooms I think and 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 Uruguay is not one of them Ghana certainly one of them so you know we did get one vintage Thomas Party moment where he dropped the shoulder on someone on the edge of the box and played a perfect oh yeah yeah yeah. that Mm -hmm. was nice Mm -hmm. yeah I thought he was a bit 
I don't know what the word is, peripheral today. Yeah. Um, even when, when Garner had the ball, I don't think he was at his best. I thought Kudus again was excellent. I thought Kamal Dean, Suleimana made a really good impact when he came on in the second half. Look, for me, this game, right, it, 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 it encapsulated the two teams and their current situations, you know? It was two sides at either extreme of the age curve who both had their moments, who both had quality, but couldn't find enough to qualify. At, for Ghana, it was kind of the start of their journey with a new young squad. For Uruguay, the end of, you know, kind of similar to Belgium, a golden generation that they couldn't um, achieve something with, but ultimately um, just not enough in the end. But in terms of what they both offered, I enjoyed watching Ghana a lot more than Uruguay in the group stages, that's for sure. Yeah. Yep, well said. Um, so quickly, anything you want to say in praise of South Korea at all? I mean, um, you know, we we tend to, I think, sometimes when teams surprisingly get through, focus on the team mm-hmm. that disappointingly crashed out, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, Uruguay. And maybe not enough is said about the the country that gets her. You know, we probably didn't give enough love to Australia, for example. Uh, not that anyone would have told us that you know, made that point in any way, shape, or form. I think you did a nice job giving Morocco their credit towards the tail end of the pod yesterday, which created the nice dynamic that people were angry tweeting me halfway through having listened to the pod and then apologizing <laughs> at full had time. Had to get them in. I could envisage it's, the tweets already. It's the gift, not going to lie. You had us in the first half. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to keep um, people guessing, you know, never yeah. let them know your next move. Yeah. But so let's, let's cut that off at the pass with a little love for South Korea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what I said. I thought today was actually their worst performance. I really enjoyed them in the other two games. Really, really smart technical team with a lot of energy. And that seems to kind of be the trademark of the the Asian teams, maybe not so much Australia who are focused on defensive stability in their shape and maybe snatching things down the other end. But I think Japan and South Korea have really shown a high technical level. And I, and I really enjoy teams who, who can be brave enough to show that. I think Japan, you know, didn't show it to their best ability. I mean, they averaged um, incredibly low amounts of possession in, in the group stage. Um, but yeah, I think South Korea have a lot of talent. And what I liked was they weren't just relying on Son every time. I think he felt an internal pressure to deliver, but I never felt like South Korea were constantly looking for him, which is I, I really liked. I think Huang... Um, being back to fitness is a, is a big boost for them because he gives them something dif- different up front. I thought Kim Min Jae really impressed me. Um, you know, at the back, he was injured today, but in general, he's he's had a really good start to the season with Napoli. So look, I think they've got talent and nobody expected them to get through, um, especially with their manager sitting in the stands, you know? Mm. So yeah. it's a it's a huge achievement and you could see what it meant to not only them, but their fans. I mean, the, there was crying and you know all sorts happening you know in the in the stands and I think it's just showing you that football is really capturing people all over the world truly because too often it's been a very Europe-centric knockout stage in the World Mm -hmm. Cup but now you're seeing teams from Africa teams from Asia you know in a few years you never know USA Canada they have a plot obviously USA qualified now but, but Canada could even have a role to play in 2026. And I think that's a really positive sign. Um, and one that should really be sticking the middle, middle finger up at FIFA who want to add, you know, kind of more nonsense and disrupt this. 
Yeah, it's it it's sort of a shame because we're getting this really wonderful World Cup on the pitch, which I think FIFA desperately needed given some of the focus uh, leading up to it. And here they wind mm-hmm. up getting the on-the-pitch World Cup they would have hoped to be getting, and now they're going to just tear the whole thing up and find another way to screw it up uh, four years from now. But let's, let's flip over to the other group. Um, we came very, 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 very close. Very close. To having France, England, Spain, and Brazil in one half of the bracket. Mm. And, I mean, first of all, if you're Lionel Messi and you're looking at Netherlands, USA, Australia, Japan, Croatia, Switzerland, South Korea, you love it. As a USA person myself, I was thinking, well, we're making the World Cup final. But that's not what happened. Now Brazil is in in our half of the bracket, Switzerland's in the other half of the bracket, so that changes that. But, but... This I I really enjoyed th- these games. Actually, I think I enjoyed these games more um, than I did the earlier games. Even though the the finish was so fun in the earlier games. Um, first of all, the Serbia Switzerland game was just madness, totally mental. We'll we'll come on to the Brazil game in a moment. And I want to talk about that because I think Martinelli was just fantastic, and mm-hmm. um, you know Real Madrid were like, how fast can we fax over a, a bid? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Maybe but, not facts, have you, no considering facts. what happened with, with De Gea. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to be fair, they, there might be a newer technology, I don't know. Um, but let's just, let's just hang on Serbia-Switzerland. And like, what do you know? Again, similar, similar to Uruguay, Serbia decide to play Vlavic and Mitrovic together, and what do you know suddenly... Vlavic and Mitrovic scoring goals for them. <laughs> Who would have guessed? <laughs> the big men do the goals, as we yeah. say. I yeah. mean, it took 24 seconds for the first kind of goal mouth scramble. And I thought, we're just not going to get any time to breathe here, are we? Because Serbia are such a funny team structurally because they've taken Mikel Arteta's 5 plus 5 formation and given it all the steroids. You know, they had three defenders, two holding midfielders, nobody in 40 yards and then five attackers. And it was just incredible because I think they finally leaned into their strength, which is their attack. You know, it was Filip Kostic, Vlavic, Mitrovic, Tadic, all starting for the first time in this tournament. And as chaotic as they were defensively and in transition, you really saw them as an attacking outfit, you know, and Mm -hmm. Switzerland are no mugs. They defend well, but when you get people like Mitrovic, Vlavic together, working together, pinning centre-backs back, and you have the service of Kostic and Tadic, goals happen. And we saw it firsthand. Out. Yep. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, huh? Well, before um, that, the human thumb got a goal. Any words on him? The human thumb plus a calf muscle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good goal, actually, because I thought they'd missed the chance because Serbia actually got some bodies back in front of the goal, but I think it was Gibral so showed a lot of intelligence and awareness in the box to just pass it off to Shakiri and he found the gap. Um, and I was, ex- I was waiting for the celebration, but he, he seemed to uh, keep a lid on it in that moment, but you could see the joy. You could see what it meant to them. And they all went screaming over into that corner. And I was like, that's what it was already being played at a, f- a kind of frenetic tempo, but we just needed a little, a little goal just to, you know, put another log on the fire, shall we say. And then, then you know, the goals started flowing. Yeah, and I, I have to say, th- this is another one where you had to have the live standings up because it was mm-hmm. starting to get a little bit confusing. And so early on, Switzerland take the lead. They're on six. And 
Brazil are on seven. But at the time, you know, you're looking at it and you're thinking this this could get a little bit interesting. Then Serbia come back and get the two goals. Mm-hmm. Now Switzerland are on three. And Serbia is on four. Mm-hmm. So they're going through. But Cameroon suddenly are looking at this thing. If we can find a goal, we would go through. At least at that point, they would have gone through because Serbia had the dreadful goal difference. So Serbia created a really interesting situation where Switzerland are out, but a goal away from being back in. Cameroon are a goal away from being in. And and Serbia were in. And that was a really interesting dynamic in terms of the way Serbia played to get back into it. I thought what made this game so fun in a way is Serbia were... And, and maybe this is why they didn't play their two strikers. Maybe their coach knew how bad they suck defensively. Because they were a mess defensively. <laughs> yes, and that just made for mess. this being a very fun game to watch because Serbia had threat, but my goodness, they could not stop the ball movement and and uh, just interconnected play of Switzerland every time they got the ball. Well, we, we saw it when they were chasing the game after conceding first. They, they, they were straight away back in control and mm-hmm. making chances. I mean, the Mitrovic header... It's an unbelievable goal. And it's so casual. He makes it yeah, look so easy. I love the aesthetics it, of that. It's a brilliant header. And even Vlavic is one. He takes it really well. I mean, I still don't know what his ceiling is, mm-hmm. but he knows where the goal is. That's for sure. And, you know, they they deserved it because they really started leaning into their wide players. And I, and I just think get Kostic on the ball with those two massive lumps up front who like their elbows, who like to knee people, who like to be in at the near post they would cause problems for anybody, you know? And I was really glad that they, that they decided to lean into that. But then when they had to defend a bit, Switzerland just went up the other end and, and scored again. So a really nice goal again, actually, they worked it really well. The defending's horrible, I know. Um, but, you know, they find Mbolo at the back post. And I think he's a really interesting player, Mbolo. Um, maybe not not given enough respect in Germany at Gladbach. Now he's at Monaco. I think a Premier League team should gamble on him because I think I see attributes there that would translate well. Yeah, he sure um, looks he sure looks impressive. I mean, it, it's yeah. hard, right? Because those really physically Im- imposing players, the players that have athleticism and a and a mm-hmm. you know a big frame, they stand out, right? And so sometimes th- they catch your eye, but you know they can also catch your eye in the way Lukaku caught your eye the other day. So, yes, um, but I don't know. Or, he's got a little bit about him. I think technically mm-hmm. he's even played wide before, so. You know, good player. I think this summer some Premier League teams should be looking at him. Um, but yeah, then it's two two at half time. What a goal! The third goal. What a, what a move! Mm. I mean, it's 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 beautiful. I mean, the, the back heel from Vargas, the awareness there is so good, and the, and the little finish, the third man run from Froiler, lovely finish again into the corner, and it was just like some of that, the goals in this game that was a beautiful team goal just the perfect yes. little like mm-hmm. it was sort of an arsenal goal you know is the kind of the kind of goal you could picture arsenal and their pop scoring or arsenal even today yeah 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 it was it was table. kind of similar to mitrovic's goal against cameroon you know when they just worked it from side to side you know really 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 good i think switzerland are full of a lot of intelligent players who are very much the sum of their parts you know that's the strength the collective, uh, which I like about them. It's always been like that. You know, for as long as I can remember watching Switzerland, they've always been about the collective. And I think that's really admirable. The way the game played out is crazy because so, so, all right. So at that point, Switzerland's through. 
Mm-hmm. It's starting to look increasingly unlikely, unlikely that Serbia can get through. But now it's not outside the realm of possibility that Switzerland can top the group. Um, I mean, it seems unlikely because what are the odds that Cameroon's going to beat Brazil, right? Next to nothing, probably as close to zero as it gets. But if it happens, mm-hmm. Switzerland have a chance. So the Switzerland-Serbia game took on a very, very weird kind of dynamic because both teams were still sort of going for it. Um, and I think it was just pure straight hatred fueling it at the end. There yeah, was those so last much 20 minutes. In this game. Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. talk me through it, Granite Shaka having the ability to always be caught up in every conflict on the pitch and being able to somehow like, I don't know when he looks like he's going to piss people off more when he's actually in their face fighting them or when he does that smug smile afterward, <laughs> he, he had his wind up like merchant boots on today. He was, he was absolutely driving Serbian players to the edge of edge of their sanity. I think he was playing a, a very important role and one that we've seen quite often for Arsenal this year, you know, it's growth people. We're seeing growth right mm-hmm. in front of our eyes and, and he's become so good at treading the line, but never overstepping. You know, I've never felt this season that he's he's overstepped the line, whereas in the past we've seen it clearly happen. You know, his head goes, um, and that's Do you think that, he would have overstepped you know? the line? Because, Phil, I have to say, there were, there were a couple of moments. There was one sort of right behind the goal mouth where I saw madness in his eyes, and he looked enraged. And if his teammates don't, like, stop him, I, I was sort of curious if he had it under control. I think post-talk, you can be like, oh, he always had it under control. He was winding them up, but... He looked really on the edge in that particular moment. I, I mean, this this game has a certain emotional, you know, aspect for him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, you know, even from the Serbian side, there's a lot of animosity towards each other. I mean, nobody hid that. There was no effort to hide it. You know, Mitrovic and, and Jaka were having words. Jaka then had words with the Serbian bench and then everyone got up. And, it, you know, it was always going to happen. I think, you know, we said it, we said it the other day, this was always going to happen. Tempers fray. When things are on the line, people start to get desperate. The adrenaline starts to go, but I don't know. I I just always saw him, you know, there may have been a look in his eyes. There may have been some words said, but I never, you know, I was never scared for him to, to take the extra step and really lose it, you know? And I thought he was extremely solid played very well as he always does. Um, But I just thought the role that he kind of took on was as captain, you know, I've got my, my story with you. I've got my history with you, but this is, this is about my team. And he really kind of got them up when they needed to be up. Um, And Switzerland qualify for another knockout stage. I mean, it's incredible, really. They, they keep doing it. This is a team of, experience of know-how of quality when they need it and i just think that's where serbia um couldn't match them you know defensively they were a disaster obviously but i just think their their ability to manage the game was non-existent whereas switzerland have been here they've done it and they, and they looked cool in the moments they needed to look cool they could raise it when they needed to raise it and and i just think um this is them and and i have a lot of time and respect for them yeah, well, I want to I want to get to the end of this. I want to get to the way the Cameroon game finished. I want to get to how Martinelli played in particular. Mm-hmm. I want to get to tomorrow because we got both England and the USA in action in round of 16 among others. But I also want to get to the fact that you got to try NordVPN. Nord, NordVPN gives you full creative 
creative freedom when it comes to the presentation um, of your internet, right? I mean, it is, it is, let's put it this way. If you want to watch the European coverage of the World Cup, you can change regions and watch it there. If you want to watch the American, no, probably not. Yeah, you, you get my point. If you want to watch um, some BBC match of the day stuff, you need to be in a certain region. Well, with Nord, you can change your region. You can watch the stuff you want to watch. You can view the things you want to view. You can hide um, your web browsing from your, your ISPs, from your providers. You can browse in complete security and safety, right? Um, NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Nord's also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. You can say goodbye to intrusive web ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. All right, so there's literally no risk. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee. Browse in the place you want to browse. You want to watch Netflix show that's not available in your region. I mean, we watch Bluey in our household. That was available in Australia before it was available in the U.S. NordVPN can make it possible. Keep you safe. Keep you browsing the content you want to view. Um, and 30 days absolutely risk-free. Give it a try, okay? Check out our link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn forward slash arsenalvision. You'll get a huge discount on a two-year plan and a month free. So it's nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, two-year plan and a month free. Uh, discount on two-year plan, month free. Do it now. Phil, is that enough of that? Indeed. Yep, nailed it. Not, not my best ever, but you know what? Like, they can't all be your best ever. So... Before we get to the Martinelli of it, Brazil, bang on the door, bang on the door, bang on the door, and then what do you know? Like one ball, you know, down the wing and across and a header, and what a header it is, and Cameroon win, and it's scenes. And actually, with a few minutes there where if Switzerland could have scored again, they would have topped the group and Brazil mm. would have finished second. Um, Brazil made a lot of changes, and I'm sure the Brazil fans are going to blame all the Brazil players, but this seemed to be a case of just like a lot of goal mouth scrambles, a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities, not being able to completely, fully, totally put it in the back of the net. I will say their defense looked a little ropey, to be fair. It did look a little ropey at times. There were also some unbelievable saves at both ends, to be fair. Ederson made a sensational save in this game. So what's your sort of 30,000-foot view on Cameroon winning this? It's a great story, but is there is there a there there with Brazil or not really? No, I think, it, you know, there was nine changes to the starting 11. It's normal to lack fluency, especially when you don't have too much time to prepare and train, you know, and even with those changes, even though they lost the game, eventually they were still dominant. I think on another day, they still score two or three. Um, but in general, I don't think under Chite, this Brazil side are vibrant attacking you know this relentless attacking force you know they're they're very well suited to international football which is slower a bit more reserved defensively solid and then hope for one or two moments where your attackers can shine um and one person who did shine gabriel martinelli i mean he was man of the match by a considerable distance the only person who looked to be running beyond he was threatening i mean the poor right back um, you know, he, he's going to need, a um, some hugs later on because he'll be, he'll be shook up after that because he was getting in every single time and there's nothing fancy. There's nothing fancy to Martinelli. It's just head down and run. Um, but Gareth Bale made a career out of that. So there were some, you know, I mean, there were some like really nice little tricky moments. Yeah. The other thing is like, he's really good in the air and I thought his header like it's not an easy one to get to. He's stretching it's a great to save. get there. It's a great it's a save. Really good, he mm -hmm. can't get it down 
it's a mm-hmm. great save. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I guess you're, look, he's not. He doesn't have as much of a trick, but just his raw pace. Like, but he does have a trick in the sense when he gets to the byline, he has this thing where he can burst past you to the byline, mm-hmm. but has great close control to stop it from going out, right? And he really he likes to cut in a lot and he has a good sense of when to switch it up, go to the byline, get past a man, but then he does have an ability to really tightrope the byline. We've seen him do it a lot for Arsenal and play the cutback. And I just think he provided a lot of good service. He had a lot of good threat in this game, just didn't happen to go in, go in the net. Yeah, I mean, he's very deceptive. Like you said, within close quarters, I think he's improved massively. Um, And also his decision-making in general, he knows when to take on his man. He knows when to cut back. And I just think we're we're seeing a a development, a progress really accelerate here. And look, whether it's enough to displace Vinicius Jr., I'm not sure, but he's certainly done his chances no harm. And it kept annoying me when Brazil kept going to the right. I mean, Fabinho was unable, literally unable to to look to his left. Every pass was going to Dani Alves and to Anthony. Anthony, by the way, was oh, dreadful. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. He doesn't have a right foot. He doesn't have a, a burst of speed. Um, talented player, no doubt, but just comparing the two, there wasn't, you know, it was clear who was more effective. Um, and I was just wishing that they would give it to Martinelli a bit more, but they kept going to Alves, they kept going to Anthony, and it was... Yeah driving me crazy but it's hilarious he 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 reminds me of one of those like like almost like a a comedy routine thing where you do the a million step overs and then just like fall down or get the ball taken from you or like you know what it reminds me of you ever see indiana jones since there's a new indiana jones trailer coming out where there's like the thing where the guy comes at him with a sword but then he just shoots him i feel like right okay like, bringing like anthony, a gun to like, a sword fight yeah, yeah. anthony's like the sword fight guy with all the step overs and then he just inevitably doesn't do anything with the ball. He's a YouTube player and yeah. I'm sure he'll do good things for for United, but he's he's just massively skewed the market. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's annoying because I think he's talented, but he's he just doesn't affect the games enough for me. Um and, you know, that also goes on to another player who didn't really affect the game and that's and that's our our Gabby, uh, our, our other Gabby, Gabriel Jesus. I think first of all I was really excited to watch him because I think, right, he's finally been given a chance from the start. But he got crunched really early on. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a foul, um, but it was a really heavy challenge. And then for the rest of the half, he was just limping around. I mean, he wasn't sprinting anywhere. And that's not the, the Jesus we know and, and, and we see for Arsenal. Um, and he just, he just seems to play within himself a lot for Brazil. And it's a shame because you can see... You can see the weight of of the shirt, um, and you know a lot of that is trauma based on what happened in the last World Cup, and and obviously not wanting to feel like that again. But I feel like a lot of it is self inflicted as well. I just think he becomes too hyper aware of what he's doing, and should I be shooting here? Should I be passing? And the natural instincts of his game kind of desert him, and it's a huge shame because you know he can't hide his emotions. You see everything. Mm. His facial expressions are so emotive and to see his shoulders down like that, his head's down. It's, it's really Did he get booed when he was subbed off? He didn't get booed, but I think you just saw him. He wanted to sprint off that pitch and get off there as quickly as possible. And the tide's turning again um, in Brazil. And it's a big shame because he deserves better than that. But ultimately if you don't score, you know, that's what you're in the side to do. And and Brazil don't do their centre forward any favours because they're so isolated all the time. 
but he just needs one to go in off his ass or, you know, just none of their center forwards have played well. I mean, Richarlison didn't no, play no. well, right? Like nobody's playing mm-hmm. that position. Well, Richarlison got a brace. Um, mm-hmm. and one of them was a brilliant finish, but I don't think he's influenced, Im- impacted the games. Like it's, I, I agree with you. I look, he also took a knock early in the game. He, he got fouled and I, I think his ankle got rolled a little bit or maybe stepped up. Yeah. It was, it was, not it was a big challenge mm-hmm. at all. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, my worry here, Phil, is like, I'd be thrilled if he doesn't play another minute in the World Cup. My worry is, what, is it, what does it do? You know, I would have loved for him to get mm-hmm. like a brace in this game. Fine, he doesn't have to play the rest of the tournament, but he can feel good. He contributed, get people off his back. Do you, do you worry at all what it, what it leads to psychologically? A little bit, because I know how hard the, the last World Cup hit him. And then he kind of brought it back with an excellent Copa America when they won it a year later. But this just seems to be a huge monkey on his back. And I and I don't want him to come back to Arsenal where we have to rebuild him, you know, because I feel like mm. we need him back and ready to go straight away because we've got a job on our hands, you know, and I don't Dude, want that a hangover. Help, That's the mm. thing. If he was coming back to like a fifth place Arsenal trying to claw their way into the Champions League, there'd be one thing. But don't you think it helps like... You come back and you're the man, you're beloved at a club that's top of the Premier League table. Like, it, isn't that the easiest way to shake it off and be like, you know what? Not that he's ever going to be able to say like, screw the Brazil national team because that's just not in the in the DNA of this thing. But like, he's coming back to something really significant where he is really highly regarded. You know? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I don't doubt his professionalism at all. I think he's he's always going to be there to give 100, 100% for Arsenal. Um, it's just like you said, this, this, this phenomenon with the Brazilian national team is very strange. It's something that's unique to Brazil, maybe to Argentina as well, to an extent, where it's more important than your club, for sure. You know, And I think disappointing, again, in this jersey will affect him and I, I just hope that in later on this tournament he has a chance to really um like I said get that monkey off his back because the longer this goes on the, the worse it's going to be um yeah. but it's still early it's still early although you can see a, a small trend developing at the end of the day they top the group and yeah it's no and, harm no know, foul I, special I think- mention to Cameroon as well just for a historic win um, and I think Vanson Abubakar with with the best red card of the of the tournament, you know, the little handshake with the referee, the little wave to the fans, you know, that's going out in glory. Brilliant. So I, I, I'll um, tell you though, Cameroon were taken. I'm shocked that they only finished down to ten men because they were they were putting in late challenges. I mean, every time Brazil had anything that looked like a counter, they were they were going in from behind. They were they were really there was no subtlety to, keeping, to them. No, yeah. to keeping a clean sheet. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's great. Um, We've seen some really historic victories in this World Cup from teams that have gotten through unexpectedly and teams that didn't, but still go out on a high. So I think I think it's been a great a great component of what we've seen here. To your point about it, not just being a Eurocentric World Cup. Um, so tomorrow, mm-hmm. the round of sixteen kicks off with two titans against less favored nations. Although I, I don't know if the Netherlands necessarily qualify as a Titan per se. They will be the more favored team. Argentina certainly do qualify as a Titan. And let's let's start with the with the USA Netherlands game. The Netherlands has more talent. The USA will have Pulisic, by the way, I think is the latest news. The USA has arguably played the better football in this tournament, but the Netherlands have the players to obviously comfortably find find victory in this game. But like the LVG of it to me, the Louis van Gaal of it, means that it, it will be a close game because I just don't see 
his team's really playing the kind of football to blow anybody out. So any surprises you expect from the Netherlands in terms of selection or, or approach to this game? What, what do you see? Because the USA is no longer the team that's going to be in their defensive third for 75% of the match. There, there is going to be some back and forth here. And I actually mm-hmm. wonder if that plays into the Netherlands' hands a bit, you know, if there's space for a Gakpo or something like that. I mean, yeah, first of all, it depends on whether the Netherlands go for a back three or a back four. I think they'll continue with a back three, mm. you know, and their lanes of progression are kind of very simple. They're not a secret, you know, Van Dijk, Daly Blind, Frankie de Jong, and then it's down to Cody Gakpo really to create some magic up front. And I think obviously historically they are the favourites. Um, but I haven't seen an incredible amount of promise from them. I just think Van Hal's very kind of wedded to his, to his style, to his possession. And they rely on moments, which I think if you have the, the talent is, is a, is a worthy kind of uh, strategy. But I look at this team and I, and I don't see too much of it. You know, when Vincent Janssen can start for this team, there's a problem there, you know, even mm. Steven Bergwijn is playing as a, as, as a striker. He's not a striker. So it, it will be interesting to see whether he goes with Memphis or whether he tries to go with Gakpo and Bergwijn. I'm not sure. It's, he's very prone to changing, chopping and changing. So we don't really know, but I think it's going to be three at the back. And for me, that can be, that can be a way in for, for the States, you know, because we've seen them excel in wide areas. I'm looking at Tim Weyer here, um, Mm. who can really get in down that side. If Pulisic is back, that could be a way in. We saw Matthias De Ligt really struggle against this Mylasar. So if Pulisic stands him up and really gets running, there's potential for the States there. And I think in midfield, we've seen, we've seen the U S play really, really well. So, and also am I, am I wrong here in saying that they're the only team yet to concede a goal? Or is that I, right? I mean, I think that's I, right. I think yeah. We 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 didn't concede against England, obviously. Yeah. We no, we conceded Nor- against Wales from open play. You mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So from maybe play. from from open play because we conceded what, um, a penalty against Wales. Yeah, it was the penalty. Yeah, so from open play and and considering we kind of but, trashed their centre backs, that's not a bad going. No, I, I, but I think that that's a bit of a red herring because I do think that the defense is the weak is the weak point. The thing that's going to be the no question doubt. for me yeah. is. Who starts at center forward? Will mm-hmm. Will Burhalter roll the dice and do what I think is the smart thing and go with a more talented player, even at the expense of not having that that target man? Will he go with an Aronson? Will he bring in? He's not going to bring in Gio Reyna. Will but will he go with an Aronson? You know, and and say I'd rather have my best players on the pitch and try to create goals however I can, or is he going to stick with? going with a, a lesser player to have a, a more natural center forward. I'm not a Josh Sargent guy. Um, you know, I, I will just have to see what Burhalter does there. Do you have an opinion? Is he on fit? Which, is Josh Sargent well, fit? I, I, that's, that's also a question mark. I don't know. And is he going to try Haji right again? I mean, I actually think he did Please, okay no. against, well, what I was going to say is I think he did okay against England. He didn't look so bad at least mm-hmm. for a while, but my goodness, the, the sub appearance he made in the Iran game was, was really not great. And and to be fair, we're probably overemphasizing one moment of madness when he took the shot on his weaker foot in the deep in his stoppage time, which had us all pulling our hair out. But so I think it'll be a good game. I, certainly the U.S. should should be in it. There's no reason they shouldn't be. Um, so we'll see. The other one is Argentina, Australia. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Australia have, I think, stunned a lot of people by making it this far. Argentina, it's just one of these situations where, I'm sorry, Argentina, if you want to be taken seriously as having a chance to win a World Cup, these are the games you have to get through, right? You can't, you just you just can't afford to to drop points here. So drop points, you're not going to drop points, you would drop out. Still desperate for club football to come back. So I don't want to belittle what Australia did, right? Because they got out of a group that had, you know, a Denmark team that obviously massively disappointed, but a Tunisia team that was actually pretty good. Um, they they stunned a lot of people, and I think they deserve huge credit for it. But, you know, the one thing that I'll say about them is we did see them come up against France and lose 4-1. And and they took the lead early, but they they could not keep France out. How do you see? Do you see this going a little bit more like their game against France, where just the golfing quality tells, um, or could they keep it tight like they did in their other two games and make it interesting? I think there's definitely potential for them to keep it tight. We've seen them excel defensively. You know, very difficult to break down when when they get it right. I think Harry Sutar has been one of the players of the, of the group stage so far. Um, an incredible story, you know. And in general, they're they're a very hardworking, conscientious team that that have shown a willingness to capitalize on on their you know few attacking moments but i did see signs from argentina against poland that they they were getting back to normal argentina you know um they were starting to look like a football team again with with you know with enzo fernandez back in the midfield they had julian alvarez up front movement connections smaller distances and i think that's the formula they have to follow i mean for scaloni to change it now would be would be madness, you know, and Messi looks to have found another gear, which is good. Maybe not from 12 yards, but in, in, in all other phases of play, he seems to have found another gear. So, and we saw them basically decimate Poland who were playing in a similar style to what we expect Australia to be playing, you know, uh, very defensive, trying to catch them on the break. So look, it would be an, you know, an incredible, incredible upset for Australia to get through this. I mean, you can never say never. We've seen it. You know, the evidence has been there even in the last few days for us. Um, but I would be stunned if if Argentina don't um, don't get through. It might not be vintage Argentina. They might have to bide their time a bit, but I think they should have enough on the day to to get through here. Yeah, and and I, I expect the same thing, but I will certainly be pulling for my my friends in Australia. It'll be a fun day. Knockout football starts. If it's anything like the last few days we've had, it should be absolutely wild. And I, I'm looking forward to it. England get their turn on Sunday and we'll preview that um, in our next episode. I do have something I have to read. It was sent to me on Discord by one of our patrons. I, Elliot Smith, would like to take this opportunity to apologize to the Irish nation. I was insensitive in yesterday's pod and on reflection have concluded that there was no defense for Henri's behavior. He cheated, but not only that, it was an extension of FIFA conspiracy to rob Ireland of their inevitable first World Cup. I, too, am now complicit in this conspiracy. Sorry, Ireland. That about cover it, Phil? I'm very glad they realized it was all you driving that conversation. I'm still a friend of Ireland um, and I intend on staying that way. So well, hopefully this gets me back in the good graces. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil Costa. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Love you, everybody. Big day for USA tomorrow. Big day for our Australian listeners. And I guess to be fair to our Argentinian and Dutch listeners as well. Big days all around. It's another big day. We love you. We will talk to you after my country 10, your country nil.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.